welcome to Churchpreneurs Podcast. My name is Richard Moore. I'm your host and informant for everything church, theology, and faith related. Churchpreneurs' vision is to accelerate the church in mission, vision, and effectiveness in fulfilling the Great Commission in our communities. Churchpreneurs hopes to embolden you to fulfill the Great Commission beyond our own borders into the rest of the world within this generation. In this podcast, I talk about everything that's moving me in relation to church, theology, hopefully to empower you in your ministry, church, Bible study, theological understanding, and your personal growth in Christ, most importantly. So today, um, I wanted to address something that's maybe not quite necessarily related to church ministry and or your ministry, but uh, I feel like has implication. It could have a real deep implication for your personal ministry, wherever you are, maybe elders, um, uh, problems in the church, sin issues, etc. Uh, dealing with church discipline, even I'm going to call it naming names today. And so there's this there's this prevailing idea uh, in the church that we ought not to name names of people who have uh, maybe either aberrant teachings, have uh, bad theology, and or actually sort of uh, any kind of critique. Uh, put in anybody's direction, whether that be from the TBN uh, megachurch, uh, yeah, people on on television, televangelists, all the way down to um, even in my uh, or current context, wherever I'm at in church. The idea goes something like this. Uh, we ought not to call anyone by name a false teacher or call them out individually by their false teaching, calling their false teaching out. And by doing that, you'd have to name the person. Um, Paul and the other New Testament writers didn't name names. So we ought not to as well, um, either name names or call someone uh, they're teaching into question. The idea being, if we have a problem with a false teacher or someone we think is teaching uh, false theology, that we ought to approach that person humbly, go to them, uh, a la Matthew 18. Um, funny enough, and I'll do another video on this later, uh, Matthew 18 is not talking about approaching a false teacher or someone in teaching or a problem that you might have, just even a problem you might have with someone. It's talking specifically about approaching the person for a sin issue. So um, that Matthew 18 is not talking, not talking about approaching uh, anyone uh, just for problems or uh, difficulties seeing their teaching. If you believe that they've taught something falsely, particularly about the nature of Christ or uh, false theology or whatnot. So uh, the, let's address this. Um, so uh, <laughs> stick with me today. I put together a list actually uh, of some sorts um, of people throughout the New Testament who've named names. Um, and so the idea, the main uh, idea of the whole thought process that goes something like this, no people in New Testament, Paul and the other New Testament writers, they just corrected teaching. They didn't correct people by name or call out a name or name names. So that's our thought today. The New Testament writers didn't name names. So let's have a look. We're going to do a flyover of the New Testament. And if any of the New Testament writers name names, let's start off with Jesus himself. 
Um, yeah, Jesus calls Herod a fox. Um, in Luke 13, 32 to 35, he said, go and tell that fox. Um, so, uh, you know, what the fox say? You know, I mean, that, I don't think that's what he's, I don't think that's what he's getting at, but, uh, he, he calls him a fox. Uh, I think the connotation is pretty clear. A deceiver fox is deceptive deceiver. Um, it's not a good connotation. Uh, you know, although that video is pretty awesome. If you <laughs> never seen it, what the Fox say? Um, I, I know, um, <laughs> a buddy of mine had a professor whose name was Fox and, uh, and everybody, it was pretty, pretty bad. They would always give him a hard time. Like <laughs> he didn't understand him in class. He'd say, what the Fox say? Um, so yeah. Um, he calls him a Fox. Um, uh, Luke 13, 32. And he says, go tell that Fox, you know, go tell him, <laughs> behold, I cast out demons and do this and that and the other thing. Um, and then he even says, it's a, it's a pretty harsh passage. Go look at it. If you want to have a look at it, it's in Luke 13, 32. I'm not going to read it all. Um, then moving on, Jesus, uh, calls the Pharisees some, he has some harsh, harsh words for the Pharisees. They are a group of people. He didn't call them individually by name. He didn't say, Hey, Caiaphas, you, this or that, or the other thing, but he did call them by name. Um, a group of Pharisees, everybody look around there. They are, <laughs> they have a particular set of clothing. Uh, you can't get away from it. You know who they are. Um, and he called them whitewashed tombs, brood of snakes. I mean, he had some, some choice words for the Pharisees. So Jesus certainly did call out, um, these false teachers, um, and their rulership over Israel. He called it all out. So moving on, um, to Paul. So Jesus certainly called out false teaching. Let's move on to Paul in Acts 13. Uh, Paul calls out Elemis, the magician, and he calls him a son of the devil. Um, that's not real nice. Um, so, um, but Saul, who was also called Paul, Acts 13, verse 9, filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting. He was filled with the Holy Spirit when he did this name calling. Um, so he looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you stop, not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Pretty harsh rebuke. Paul filled with the Holy Spirit calls him a son of the devil. So very, very interesting. Um, can we call names, name names, being filled with the Holy Spirit? Seems like it right here uh, from the plain text. Paul also called out Demas and Alexander the coppersmith in a pretty harsh way. In 2 Timothy 4, 10 to 15, um, Demas, it says for, he, he says about Demas, for Demas in love with the present world has departed or deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Um, Criscans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. So now Demas had abandoned Paul. So he calls him out for Luke, uh, uh, alone is with me. So Luke is the only one left over. Get Mark and bring him to me for he's very useful to me in ministry. Interestingly enough, remember Barnabas and Paul had this uh, extremely uh, difficult uh, uh, disagreement where they parted company because 
Barnabas wanted to take Mark again on a second missionary journey after Mark had abandoned them on their first missionary journey. Paul takes uh, Titus um, and uh, or Silas, excuse me, Paul and Silas. And then um, John Mark goes with Barnabas. But then later on in ministry, this is later. Uh, he says, hey, send Mark to me. He's very helpful to me in my ministry. So interesting. These are names. These are people. Tychicus um, in verse 12, I have sent uh, to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas. Bring my stuff. I forgot something. Um, also the books and all the parchments. Alexander, the, this is very interesting. 14, he names another name. So Demas, he named as a, having deserted him. And then in 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord shall repay him according to his deeds. And then 15, beware of him, for he strongly opposed the message. Woo. <laughs> Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord repay him. Watch out for him. I mean, crazy. So in his letters to Timothy, names uh, Hymen, Hymenaeus and Philetus, um, and he uh, says among them are the, the people who spread their 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 uh, teaching spreads like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth or uh, uh, have have an aberrant teaching. They've swerved from the truth, diverged from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. Paul repeats here his name and names and uh, talks about Alexander and Hymenaeus again with a very sharp rebuke saying that he handed them over to Satan. First Timothy 2, uh, 120 is where that's found. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So this is interesting. It's not like he just names names and says, uh, these guys, forget them, you know, just psh throw him. He says, I've handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme with the hope that they would come back to the faith, that they would learn not to blaspheme the Lord anymore. And uh, we don't know much about that. It's not real clear um, what happened in those uh, situations, but um, his hope, Paul's hope was always set on their return to the faith. Going on in Acts 19, 13 to 17, the seven sons, this is one of my favorite stories. I used to follow a band called Black Eyed Siva and uh, the name, they got their name from Acts 19, uh, 13 through 17, the seven sons of a high priest named Siva. And the story goes that they were trying to cast out demons and they came across one demon. These seven sons of the high priest came across one demon who they tried to cast out. They, they said, we cast you out in the name of Paul, uh, the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So they were trying to mimic the signs and the wonders of the apostles and using the apostles as their authority. Interestingly enough, the demon says, Paul, we know, and Jesus, we know, but who are you? And the demon jumped on them and beat them so badly that they left the house, it says, bleeding and naked. 
Uh, and thus the band, a band I followed called Black Eyed Siva. Um, and I think I actually remember seeing them in concert somewhere and, and them saying something to the effect of, we didn't, we don't want to end up like the black eyed brothers of Siva, uh, sons of Siva. <laughs> so, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. So that's, those were people. They were seven sons of, uh, this high priest named Siva. So there we have it. Um, people were named, uh, Luke in his, um, work uh the acts of the apostles writes and names those names paul writes in romans 16 17 through 18 to mark false teachers ones that have a different doctrine than the one that you have learned and he says this mark and avoid them my question to you is how could you avoid someone if you don't know who they are um, if you just say, well, this general teaching, um, th let's take a, a, for instance, um, Arianism or something of that nature, where we, uh, someone would happen to teach that Jesus was not God in some way or in some fashion or in some time in history or eternity past, eternity, whatever. Um, and the famous one is uh, sort of the canonic uh, theology that Jesus laid aside his divinity while he was here on earth or did his miracles only as a man laying aside his divinity for that time or yeah, uh, something in that, uh, how do you know who to avoid who would teach such a thing if you don't know who they are? So th this is, is as clear as day in Romans 16, 17, Paul says to mark such teachers who, uh, teach, something in opposition to the doctrine you have learned, mark them and avoid them. So you can't avoid someone who you don't know, right? In 1 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul talks about and addresses a man. Uh, this is a very interesting and uh, uh, really tough rebuke. Uh, a man in their church, in the Corinthian church, who had committed grievous sexual immorality. He had had uh, sexual relations with his mother-in-law, and the church must have knew precisely who he was talking about. It wasn't like, hmm, um, wonder who he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> it had to be uh, had to be someone that everybody knew because he says, deliver such a man to Satan and remove him from your midst. Um, and then it's interesting. Again, here it comes. It's it's with a purpose. It's not just like we're just throwing them out. We don't want it. The, the point is, uh, he says, so that he might be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> interesting. Hand him over to Satan so that he might be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. Uh, treat sin as sin, folks. We treat sin as sin and hope with prayer that they might be delivered and saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. So we, as a church, and this is a church, church thing in this guys, churchpreneurs, this, uh, we need to treat sin as sin and call it what it is. And that people might be saved that people might be saved. So again, in second Corinthians, uh, he denounced several in the, in the next book. So first that's first Corinthians five. And then in second Corinthians, Paul denounces, uh, several false teachers in the city of Corinth. Um, and they, the Corinthians would have certainly known who he was talking about, uh, even though he didn't name them by name. Uh, he says, uh, quote, such men are false apostles, 
deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So the Corinthians must have known who he was talking about. It wasn't um, like some teaching out there who's, who, who people claim to be apostles, uh, you know, some, some sort of uh, teaching that he was just correcting. He was correcting a teaching, certainly, but he was correcting the individuals who had claimed to be apostles, but were not. Uh, so um, then, of course, we know the famous one, and, and some people admit this, okay, he did... Um, call out Peter. Um, he opposed Peter. Paul opposed Peter, the apostle, <laughs> uh, the apostle of Christ, um, and one of the sons of thunder, the, the three, um, to his face because he was not walking in step with the gospel. And it says, and he stood condemned. This is Paul's words. So uh, that seems like a really harsh, I mean, what we know about what happened was that Peter was withdrawing himself from the, the Gentiles, when the Jews are around, basically, he wouldn't have dinner with them. So this is wild. Uh, it seems like a pretty harsh accusation from Paul for not wanting to have dinner with somebody. <laughs> now, it's much deeper than that. We Of course, we understand the, the implications of the gospel. The gospel is for all nations, all tribes, all nations. And when uh, he would uh, leave out the Gentiles or reject the Gentiles as, a re as it relates to Israel, um, we know that this does not... Uh, um, uh, this is this is an opposition to the gospel. The gospel is for all people, all tribes, all nations. And Paul opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. It was right. It was true. He was calling him personally out. And that's that's him personally. That's name calling Peter out. And he wrote it again. He did it. He so he did it when he was with him. He did it. He opposed him to his face. And then he wrote the Galatians. Hey, I did this, remember? I oppose Peter to his face because he's doing what y'all are doing right now, trying to go back to the law by circumcision. And uh, so it's really interesting. Um, in Philippians, Paul, again, did not necessarily name people, although he did urge, this is very interesting, he urged Eudia uh, and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Uh, in verse uh, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, apparently their sin had nothing to do with a false teaching, but it was hurtful attitudes toward each other, uh, um, living unreconciled and, and maybe almost unreconcilable. But he urged them by name to reconcile. Um, and so he, he named names, even for small stuff, not even for the big stuff, for name names, put them on blast, so to speak, and said, reconcile, be reconciled, because it it, 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 it is part of the gospel. Our reconciliation on it, between us as, as Christians is a picture, part and parcel to the gospel. Be reconciled. Paul mentions how to deal with the sins of the elders who refuse to repent. This is interesting. He says, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest will also be fearful from sinning. It's uh, five, chapter 5, verse 20. This is, you can't take this lightly either. This is not a, this is a 
difficult, difficult task to call someone out in a public meeting or in a public way. Sometimes a public rebuke is necessary for the good of all involved. This we should do with fear and trembling, certainly, especially when it's right directly in front of us in our own churches, churchpreneurs out there. I would take this seriously, but do it with fear and trembling if it comes to that, right? If there's some sort of uh, really appalling immorality or, or, or what have you, where it needs to be addressed, some kind of person really pulling people away into some sort of devastating false teaching, um, it, it's worth doing, but do it with fear and trembling because it's right in front of your face. Yeah, it's right there with you. Um, it's right where you're at. It's right where you live. Um, but that would include naming names. And so uh, Paul encourages that if necessary, if extremely necessary. Paul called names um, for non-false teaching offenses like we've seen uh, uh, before uh, with the reconciliation of two women. Um, he says in uh, 2 Timothy 1.15, he called out uh two by name for having abandoned him only. That's it. It just left him. They took off. They couldn't handle the life of a missionary probably or on the road or what have you. I don't know. Uh, you are aware uh, that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them are, uh, I don't know how to say this, Figulus and Hermogenes. <laughs> they, they just took off and he said, hey, I'm a, I've got a, I was abandoned by everybody. Everybody in Asia left me and those two guys as well. And he calls them by name, name names. So that's not even a false teaching offense. Um, and he called, <laughs> called them out by name. Um, yeah. Uh, some people say, well, uh, as well for the, for the Judaizers, the Judaizers, uh, uh, persecuted Paul his entire life. He never was rid of them. I think um, from from the beginning to the end, he was never rid of the Judaizers. But some uh, some would say, well, he didn't he didn't actually name them by name, but he did in Galatians five eleven through twelve. He said that he wished they would go all the way and emasculate themselves, uh, not just do the circumcision thing, but uh, go all the way and. Uh, cut it all off. Uh, sorry, that's pretty crude, but that's what that's what he said. It said it right there. Um, how could he not be talking about specific people it, if he's talking about them doing something like that, right? Not just, I, I wish they would not just talk about circumcising everybody and doing it, but I wish they would go all the way. Those people go all the way and cut everything off. He probably couldn't name them all because they were too numerous, I guess, to just list them out, whatever, right? Um, so, so he, but he did, it, it had to be a group of people. Uh, but it says it in verse 11 uh, of Galatians uh, 5, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish they'd, they who unsettle you, they, those are people, they who unsettle you would go all the way and emasculate themselves. Had to be specific people he's talking about. And the Galatians had to have known who exactly he was talking about. Because he's trying to correct an error and he wishes those who are giving the error or uh, spreading the error would go all the way and emasculate themselves. Further on, uh, there was Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. He wrote, uh, Paul wrote, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. That's not even a false teaching. 
uh, he called out Demas for just abandoning him, deserting him because he loved this world. Um, did Demas ever repent and return to Paul? No real um, evidence of that, no record of it, but he called him by name. Another time when uh, Paul was talking to, uh, writing to Titus, uh, he says that an elder might need uh, in his position to refute someone. Um, first of all, the elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy word, the word of God, as it was taught and as, is, as it should be taught, so that he may be able to give instruction uh, for sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. You would have to know the person as an elder to be able to rebuke them who oppose sound doctrine. Those are people. Those are names. Those are faces. Uh, sound doctrine didn't, doesn't just uh, exist in a vacuum. It is purported by somebody. And so, um, yeah, further on, um, he goes uh, after the Judaizers um, again in Titus uh, 1, 10 through 11, and said they must be silenced. How should we silence... Um, unless we know the people who we ought to be who ought to be silenced There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, Judaizers. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So he's <laughs> saying to, to the people he's writing to, it's Titus specifically, we need to silence them, them, people, those people who are spreading lies and false teaching ought to be silenced, especially those of the circumcision party. Those were specific people. They knew they had to have known who they were. They had to have known who he was talking about. So lest you say that, oh yeah, that's Paul. He's such a meanie. He's such a uh, ugly guy. Um, John, the beloved apostle, also has real clear warnings. He says that many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh uh, these people he describes as deceivers and antichrists. He says that faithful saints must have nothing to do with these deceivers. Don't receive them into your house and do not give them a greeting. So those are people, right? It, a person, you would have to know the person to uh, reject hospitality to them or reject them, even greeting them. Uh, those are people. You got to know who they are to reject hospitality. Uh, you got to know who they are to not give them a greeting if you saw them. They had to have known who they were to deny hospitality. Then John also, the beloved apostle, wrote again to Gaius in 3 John. Uh, he warns about a certain guy named Diotreves. Um, he, wrote, uh, he said, I wrote something to the church, but Diotreves who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. John says that when he comes to visit, he'll deal with this proud, <laughs> proud and rebellious man. Uh, so there was this guy, <laughs> doesn't they say exactly what he was teaching necessarily, but he does not accept 
the apostles' teaching, and the apostles' teaching is the Word of God, the Scriptures, um, who Christ was, what have you. He says when he comes, he'll deal with that proud and rebellious man. Uh, how did he deal with him? We don't know, but give him a, a lashing with a wet noodle. I don't know. Um, <laughs> corrected him somehow. Who knows what what happened? But he names names. He says, watch out for him. When I come with him, when I come to you, I'll deal with him. And so not just Paul, this uh, angry, uh, upset apostle, the, the meanie, uh, uh, dealt with, dealt with these, uh, by name, but John, the apostle, John, the beloved apostle, um, uh, Peter writes about, uh, teaching as well, false teaching as well. His famous, uh, let's say a diatribe on false teaching in his epistles, all the epistles, every single one of them is a correction against some sort of false teaching who spreads false teaching, false teachers, people. Uh, not like I said, false teaching doesn't doesn't uh, exist in a vacuum. <laughs> uh, false teaching doesn't just sort of appear out of the nether regions of space or something. It comes out of people. So how do we avoid false teaching? How do we mark and avoid or avoid false teaching at all? We have to know who's teaching it. <laughs> Um, this is a, a really, a, a sort of a silly, um, silly exercise, but let's go on. The last one I've got here is the book of revelation. Um, the book of revelation in chapters two and three talks has these letters to the seven churches. Uh, and here we find that Jesus again, personally rebuked those in the city of Thyatira. Um, and he says this, this I have against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So he warned uh, that he would personally deal with this false prophetess and those who followed her. So Jezebel was a real person. Some people... Um, purport that Jezebel is a spirit of Jezebel, the spirit, you know, some, the, some movements uh, talk about the spirit of everything, the spirit of this, the spirit of that. The spirit of Jezebel is not a real thing. It's a construct. Jezebel is a person in the Old Testament. And this person here, whether or not this is a really, really her name, we don't really know. Was Jezebel a person or was Jezebel a, uh, a, a sort of a title that the person received as a result of, uh, or, or, or kind of referring to the wicked queen Jezebel in the old Testament. We don't really know, but it was a real person because if you look at the context, there were people related to, and her children, uh, there were children that were related to her. And this person in Thyatira, uh, was condemned, called out. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel don't tolerate her anymore. Um, do away with her, and I will deal. Jesus says, I will deal with her uh, uh, myself. Um, wow. So um, anyways, I guess this should suffice to dispel the myth that we should not name names. Now, how do we go about that? Churchpreneurs, you guys out there in the everyday church life, pastor, teacher, elder, you should busy yourself with knowing what's out there. Having an idea, kind of giving a warning, being able to give a warning. So someone comes into your office. I remember this very, very clearly as I was a pastor at uh, in California. Our pastor was approached by someone who wanted to do a 
Bible study with a certain book. And I remember it so distinctly. Uh, the pastor asked me and the other pastoral staff to sit in on the meeting with him. And the pastor uh, said, um, we understand you want to re lead a small group with this book. Took the book and he said, I'll tell you what you can do with this book. And he walked, got up out of his chair, walked over to the trash can and threw it in the trash. <laughs> And uh, he said, you are not allowed to teach this book in our church at, or lead a small group. And uh, shortly thereafter, I believe the guy, the gentleman left the church. But this is part of your task as a pastor to protect the flock, to protect the flock that the Lord has entrusted you with. So have an idea, know about it, know what's out there, know what uh, some of the uh, key points are, the, the, the key false teachings that are ex in existence today. Know about progressive Christianity. Who's teaching it? Who's doing this? Who's, who's purporting that? Uh, what books are out there? Just know a little bit about it. Be able to communicate clearly and kindly and with grace um, and then also when it comes to real personal uh, dealings in your own churches as elders, teachers, leaders, you might have to um, call someone out in your congregation by name. Now, that would be an extreme case. That would be a hard pill to swallow. It does happen, but do that with fear and trembling because it is personal. It's right in your face. It's a person you'd have to deal with one-on-one. -on -one. But uh, those who would do discernment ministries or something like that, even my ministry, some people say as a discernment ministry, I hope to try to give scripture more than uh, discernment ministries. But I did write a book and I did uh, label people by name. Now, those are public teachings, just like in these situations with Paul and, and the apostles here. They called out public teachings to warn and avoid, to mark and avoid such people. So uh, I, would, I would encourage you. So there, there are some people in our in our Christian, uh, who, who I would actually say stand outside of Christian orthodoxy, but, uh, we might have to sometimes mark and avoid them. So those are some, it's at least a, a biblical case that we ought to name names. That is sometimes in a very rare case. Maybe it's not your task to do. You don't feel called to do that necessarily. Uh, but those who do and those who do a good job at it and they set the teachings of, of, of those who are teaching false teachings before people and say, here are their teachings. Here's what they're teaching. We're not trying to burn them at the stake um, or, uh, or touch the Lord's anointing by putting their spear, putting a spear through their head like in the Old Testament. That's not what we're doing. We're saying, hey, people, these are false teachings. Um, watch out. Mark and avoid such people for they are um, upsetting families and ruining the faith of some, as the writers of the New Testament said. So I hope this helped. I hope this was a, a great encouragement for you to know what's out there, know who's teaching what, and uh, to, to take it seriously. Um, because as churchpreneurs, as pastors, as elders, as teachers, you are, uh, you are leading those flocks that God has put you in charge of. Um, and we ought to take that task, that responsibility with all seriousness, with all fear and trembling before the Lord. And I hope and pray that this encourages you to sort of stand up, have a strong backbone, take a stand when it's necessary and lead your flocks. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Churchpreneur's Podcast. You can find out more information at my website at Richard P. Moore. I also blog at richardpmoore.blogspot.com. You're welcome to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at richardpmoore23. You can also email me at churchpreneurs at gmail.com. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-P-R-E-N-E-U-R-S at gmail.com. It's kind of like church and entrepreneur slam together. So I'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for a podcast or any comments or questions, please reach out on one of those platforms. God bless you. Until next time, take care.